Welcome to another Top of the Table interview. Join us as we hear stories and advice from MDRT Top of the Table qualifiers. Welcome to Top of the Table, where we talk with MDRT court and Top of the Table qualifiers about how they got where they are. I'm Sandy Chassel. I coach advisors who want to get to the top of their profession in less time with less struggling. Top of the Table is one way that I and the leaders who agree to sit down with me try to bring value to advisors who are on their own journey to the top. My guest today, Jim Silbernagel, is a financial advisor in Kewaskum, Wisconsin, a town of only 4,000 people. Despite the size of his town, Jim has made MDRT-level sales for almost three decades. He has been at top of the table level in production for more than 15 years. He served as the phonathon chair for the MDRT Foundation. He's been a board member in Forum 400, a think tank for top advisors in the United States. He's been a professional speaker and an active leader in NAFA. He is the founder and host of Real Wealth, which provides financial education to the public and advice to advisors through webinars, pod, podcasts, and other means. And somehow he finds time to be involved extensively in philanthropy, to fly his plane, and spend time with his family. And all this from a practice in a town of only 4,000 people. I'm honored to have you here today, Jim. Hey, it's great, great to be here. Thanks for uh, having me. So I have a million questions I could ask you, but I think maybe it would be fun to start at the beginning. You graduate the University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee, and did you go right into the insurance business? Well, actually, I didn't graduate. From <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I, was, I was one semester shy of graduating. And, um, and I will tell you, if someone in high school would have said I was going to get into the insurance or financial services business, I would have taken them out to the parking lot to defend my honor. I had no intention of being in this business. But when I was 18 years old, my dad said, hey, you need to get a real job. I've always been kind of an entrepreneur. Um, I had paper routes. I had um, uh, where I cut grass for people and shoveled snow and odd jobs. And, and I would, I never had a, a paycheck. I never had an hourly rate job. And, uh, and I was making halfway decent money just doing that kind of stuff while I went to school. And, uh, you know, I went to college. I was studying the uh, business administration. And uh, I, the job that I took on, it was calling, making appointments for life insurance agents all over the country that called on farmers in the area of estate planning. Now, I didn't know how to spell life insurance or estate planning. I didn't even know what life insurance was, but I could make appointments. And it was probably the best training anybody could have because I got paid for each appointment I made. I'd get a little bonus if they sold. And, uh, and the agents uh, would once in a while coach me, if you could get this or get this, okay, fine, you know, whatever. That makes it easier for you. And I get a $30 bonus, fantastic. But I got $4.5 per appointment. And um, I was very successful. I mean, I was literally making um, hundreds of appointments a week. So one of the things that most agents struggle with, who can I see? Who can I call? They don't like to call people. They're afraid. They, they rely on emails sometimes. 
But that face-to-face -face interpersonal uh, relationship or voice-to-voice, -voice, um, you know, that, that, that I think is really important to establish those relationships. So I was not afraid to reach out to people. And that was probably the best training anybody could ever have is, is having to do those numbers games. So I really understood the numbers. And by the time I got to be a senior in college, on my home stretch to graduation, I didn't want to take a pay cut. Um, the, at the time, if I would have got uh, finished my degree, I would have been uh, eligible to be a manager of McDonald's or Burger King. And they were the starting salaries were $16,000 a year. And I was already making more money part-time through college. And I thought, you know, there must be some, something to this insurance thing. Maybe I need to find out a little bit more about it. Um, but I did make a real big mistake at the time because um, they had me training other people how to call and make appointments. And uh, when they did that, they didn't give me any extra pay. I just had to help. I just had to add the training on. But they, who I was training, they would only pay three bucks an appointment. Now, I didn't get any override on it. I was young and dumb. I didn't know to ask for that. And, but they did tell me if I'm successful at doing that, after six months, they were gonna give me a salaried position of $60,000 a year. Now, as a kid, you know, that's a teenager basically, um, being promised that kind of money, um, boy, I just, I just lit up and I went full force and six months to the day, I went to them and said, I'm ready for my salary. And they said, well, we've had a change in plans. We're gonna pay you three bucks an appointment just like everybody else. So what I decided to do is what any teenager would do, I quit on the spot, right? And that was back in the early 80s when uh, jobs weren't very easy to come by. I know we would consider anybody who had a job lucky uh, back then. We had a big recession going on then, and I struggled between different jobs. I was able to get uh, more appointment setting jobs, and the one that I had um, they only had like three to five appointments a week for me to set up. Now I increased my per appointment revenue all the way up to 10 bucks. But when you can only set five appointments a week, you don't really pay too many bills. Uh, and, and, and then that was like 45 minutes of work for me or an hour of work. Um, so uh, one of the guys that was in the office said, hey, we have another partner that's working at a, age, a property casualty agency. And that was about 35, 40 miles northwest of Milwaukee. And uh, maybe you can talk to him. So I talked to him and he had me qualifying leads for Medicare supplements, which I did for a while, was able to make decent money. Um, in the meantime, there were some folks that said, you should get your insurance licenses. So I got my insurance licenses. Then one day the guy came to me and said, hey, I got all the leads I need for my agents for the next five years. Uh, I don't need you making any more qualified leads for me. We can't even call on them all. Um, here's, here's a script. Go out and sell. So yeah, I had a two-page script. The first uh, policy I've ever seen in my life was in my first person who I went to interview on health insurance. I was probably trying to, they probably knew more about health insurance than I did. Um, so I didn't get the best training, but um, you know, that, that's kind of my background. And um, I, I will fast forward a little bit. I was doing Medicare supplements. I didn't feel challenged enough. Um, expanded a little bit in the life insurance, doing a little bit with that. Um, but I had someone who I was doing my 
health insurance with for people under age 65. The company offered to pay for somebody to go get their securities license. I went and got my securities license and uh, the place that I worked for didn't like the fact I was doing life insurance or securities because they didn't get an override on that. So I decided I need to go on my own. So I set up my own shop back in uh, January of 1990 or December of 89 is when I set up my own shop. January of 90, I was planning on getting renewals from where I was at. I was planning on uh, being able to write so much business like I had in the past. And the first thing our, that happened is the state of Wisconsin uh, lowered the uh, commissions to a levelized commission. And the person who promised me, I was young and dumb, I didn't have a contract, promised me I'd get my renewals. So my renewals were gone and the money that I thought would be coming in um, wasn't coming in. It was a quarter of what I was expecting. And uh, I had a I had a couple kids by that point that were one and two years old. Both were born with uh, medical issues. We had health insurance, but high deductibles. And that first year, I racked up $50,000 in credit card debt before I turned the corner and finally started cash flowing enough to cover my own bills. And I'll tell you, I was really close. I had someone interview me about um, becoming a financial uh, uh, the finance manager at a car dealership. I went to the interview and they talked about how they made more profit off a single lady that came in on selling all the warranties and the financing and all that because she was naive. They were able to take advantage of her and they made more money on that than the sale price of the car. And I thought that was despicable. I need to do whatever it takes to be in a business where I make a positive difference in people. And uh, the rest, they say, is history. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great background. At some point, you, you start your own business. You're in the insurance business. Some of it you had to start from scratch because you lost all those renewals. Uh, and you turn the corner and qualify for NDRT, which is kind of a huge leap from zero. Was there something specific that you did that, you, you know, like one of those moments where you say, oh my gosh, if I just do this, I'm going to reach it? Or was it something that built up gradually? Um, there was a little bit of a built up gradually until um, I made my first MDRT. And uh, I got to credit NAFA. I actually shared office space with a property casualty agent. And when I set up my own shop, um, I've, I, I've somehow figured out I needed E&O coverage. Now, I don't even know how I figured that out at that young age. But at any rate, uh, the guy that I was sharing office space with was said, well, you should join NAFA. They got a discount on E&O, plus they have lunches every month. You know, come and have lunch with us. Well, that sounds cool. And uh, even though I was licensed in life insurance, you know, I think, you know, I, I'm not sure if I really ever sold any life insurance up to that point. And back then it was National Association of Life Underwriters, NALU. And uh, so I went to the first meeting and ended up getting involved. And, and you know, here I'm a guy that sells health insurance and I joined a life insurance organization so I could get a discount on my E&O. Um, well then, you know, because of what happened with the cutting of commission, I needed to find other sources of revenue. So I was scrambling. So I was very receptive to what I was learning by going to those meetings. 
And then I had, uh, found out about LUTC, Life Underwriter Training Council, and they had practical courses where you go in and not only do you learn the book knowledge, but each week you had an exercise where you're supposed to call on clients, present the different types of uh, insurance. So I learned about disability, learned about life insurance, and really kind of got my feet on the ground with the foundation that I could competently talk to clients uh, and prospects about those subjects and start having some revenue coming in. And, uh, and, and then, you know, uh, MDRT was really prominent in, in those meetings. And as that, as a goal, and when I first uh, qualified, I know the, the production requirement was 53,000 of commission. And that was back in, uh, uh, let's see, 90, the year of 94, which I qualified for my first MDRT in 95. And um, when we went, I had a business partner at the time. They had a minimum of 25 lives. And we were both within pennies of each other at about 54, 55,000. I mean, just making it. And um, boy, and you know, we really couldn't afford to go to that first MDRT meeting in Toronto. Um, and, and actually for my business partner to make it, I had 27 lives and like 53,500 of production. He had 23 lives and like 53,000 of production. So we did group DI or list billing DI, let him be the agent so he could get the extra two lives and wrote disability insurance on each of us. So that's how we got to our first MDRT. And I will tell you that first MDRT meeting is what gave me the confidence to stretch my boundaries and then the rest uh, really started coming into play. So what ended up happening is I go to that first MDRT meeting and Sid Friedman, and if you've been in the business a long time, he was one of the all-time giants in the business. Guy, you know, I'd see presentations with him. He's driving a Rolls Royce. He's dressed to the um, unbelievable the way he's dressed and, and looks like a million dollars just when he walks into the room. And he was leading a top-of-the-table breakfast session. And at that breakfast session, everybody uh, had one top-of-the-table member at the table and we had a little bit of a presentation. We ate breakfast, and then everybody was able to ask the top of the table member one question. Well, my business partner and I at the time, we were struggling with hiring somebody. We filled out all our own paperwork. We licked our own stamps. We opened our own envelopes, did all that stuff. And I know you as a coach, got. <laughs> I see you shaking your head. I, should, I mean, now I look back and I'm like, what an idiot. But you got to start somewhere, you know? So, um, so what he said, he said, you got to go and hire somebody. And we said, you know, I mean, we're making 53 grand to hire somebody who was licensed and competent and knew what they were doing. Now, back then, maybe $30,000 a year. Well, my gross was 53 and thinking I would pay 60% of my gross, which was about my net is what the salary would be. I'm like, what the heck am I going to live on? You know, and he says, I promise you, you go back, you hire a full-time person, you will double your income. Well, that gave us the confidence. We went back and hired somebody. The next year in Anaheim for MDRT in 96, um, I see Derek, we're at the uh, hotel, uh, one, of the, one of the sponsoring hotels. We're at the bar. It's right in the middle of the lobby with some friends. And I see Derek from South Africa walking by. I say, hey, Derek, I'd like to buy you a drink. I really appreciate you. Come on over here. So he comes over and he says, you don't need to buy me a drink. I said, no, I really want to. He says, no, 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 no. 
I said, what do you want to buy me a drink for? I said, well, do you remember last year at MDRT? We were at the breakfast session. I was at the table with you. And he goes, oh, yeah, I remember. And I said, yeah, I just want to thank you. You gave us the confidence to go out and hire somebody. And it really had an impact on our business. And I just want to thank you. He says, well, how much did your business go up? I said, it went up 50% last year. And I don't know if it's okay for me to say this, but this is the word to use. He says, Jim, you did it half-assed. What are you talking about? He said, your business is only up 50%. Did I not tell you you would double your business if you hired a full-time person? Yeah. Did you hire a full-time person? No, we hired a part-time person. We didn't think we could afford it. So moved it a little bit. Well, then that just made us decide, I'm going to go back and hire a full-time person. And we hired a full-time person. I made core to the table that next year. And so did my business partner. And we both qualified for top of the table in 2000. And it's because we started getting smart about delegating the work. And um, I had someone tell me this early in my career, delegate the work to the least paid person capable of handling the job. The thing that we do best is when we're in front of clients, developing solutions for them and their family, everything else should be delegated. I love that you brought this up because it's one of the biggest areas that I coach in is well, I can't afford to hire somebody. And, and it's such a big mistake. If you opened up uh, a convenience store, would you be at the back taking in goods and then running the lotto machine and then uh, running the register and then be out on the floor putting things? You wouldn't. You would hire someone. And yet, People in this industry just say, oh, I, I can't afford it. I, I can't make that investment. Um, so thank you for, for confirming that. Um, and I'll, I'll just add to that. 90% of the advisors are lazy and or cheap. And <laughs> invest in their business uh -huh. and too lazy to learn the business. You know, um, now for those of you that are, are using Sandy as a coach, you know, we need somebody to keep us accountable, you know, and, and to point the things out for us. But it's, at the end of the day, it's up to us to implement. And I see people look at it like, well, geez, if I hire that person, I could be golfing twice a week on that salary. Well, now, not only are you hurting your business by not hiring somebody, you're also hurting yourself by not applying yourself in the business. You know, you des your clients deserve to have you be the best you can be and not settle for just good enough. There are too many things that are coming against Americans today, too many challenges to have a financial advisor that just has a good enough attitude. And I know when I started, and I start to see now more of what I started with in the beginning, I was bored with Medicare supplements. But one thing I learned from the PNC agents is they always say, if you got five lines of business, they're never gonna leave, you know? and People today, their time is so short, they don't want to go from advisor to advisor to advisor to advisor. And, and I always heard jack of all trades, master of none. Well, that's for someone who's lazy. You can be a master of all the issues in our, in our business. And if you choose not to be a master, you owe it to your clients to collaborate with the masters and work together as a team for your clients and not just say, well, I don't deal with that. Um, right now, I believe we have a tsunami of opportunity in the long-term care arena. And if you're doing retirement planning and not talking about long-term care, you're making a mistake. Now, if you're too lazy to learn about long-term care, there are plenty of advisors that really get it. You need to collaborate with them. 
because long-term care, if someone has a, a stay today and it's 10 or $15,000 a month, that's not an asset problem, that's an income problem. And if they don't have the income, then it's an asset problem. And long-term care insurance provides that income. So same thing with disability income insurance. You know, I just did a podcast myself interviewing a gentleman where his, his dad got disabled at a very young age and he talked about the struggles they went through. Now he's a very successful agent. People don't tell him, you know, we don't need disability income insurance. They might say they're not going to pay for it, but they're not going to convince him they don't need it. You know, and, and that's the thing. You have to be a student of the business to be successful and and you owe it to your clients because if you're not willing to do that for your clients, find another career. Go to the convenience store and sell widgets. You at least won't hurt your family, right? <laughs> Good. I'm glad you mentioned the podcast because I want to talk to you about real wealth, what it is, how you started it, when you decided to create it, and so on. Because that podcast, I've listened to a few of them, and they're awesome. So speak away. All right. Well, I appreciate that. Well, it, it kind of started with uh, marketing the business. Uh, there are two things that made us very successful um, in the small community. And one of them was we took on estate planning. And um, in our area, um, you know, there's a lot of good attorneys out there, but there are a lot of attorneys in our small community that kept putting people through probate. And, and not showing people how to avoid that probate with estate planning. So one thing we did is we partnered up with some attorneys and we did estate planning. And that was a, a way of getting people in the door. The other thing was we did a seminar on estate planning at a, a local radio station was hosting a farm fair. So they had all these, it's like a trade show and then they had, um, they had people doing um, seminars regarding the farmers and we were talking a lot about estate planning. So when we got approached by the sales rep to, to do this trade show, so to speak, uh, a farm fair, we were asked if we'd want to have a booth. And I'm like, I hate going to those things. I hate doing web uh, seminars and all that stuff. And I said, well, I, I'll be willing to do that if we can talk uh, about estate planning. So we were able to get a session on estate planning. This is, you know, 30 years ago. So we did a talk on that, and it was actually outdoors. The, the radio station was a polka station, so it wasn't Fox News or something like that. Um, and, and so we, we did the seminar, and it saved the day because almost nobody was there except for our seminar. A couple hundred people came, and then they left. So then they said afterwards, they said, you know, you guys saved the day. Would you be willing to do, um, be a guest on our radio program? Well, sure. So made the decision back then, we weren't going to try to sell anything. We we're just going to educate. And then what we were going to do is say, hey, look, if you're not getting this information from a professional now, or they're falling short, or they're not talking about this, you know, talk about it with them. If they're not willing to talk about it, come see us. So it was a very soft sale. Um, and, um, and when we did the, the presentation, uh, the, the phones were ringing off the hook. So then they asked if we'd be willing to be regular guests. So then I was on once a month. So we did, did that for a number of years and um, got to my midlife crisis and said, you know, this business has been really good. I can only help so many people one-on-one -on -one across the table. 
And I wanted to, and, I, and I've, I've been a student of the business and not, not to brag or anything, but I just thrive on it. I want to learn more and more and more. And the more I learn, the more I realize how inadequate I am and I need to learn more because there's so many techniques and tools out there. But one thing I have learned too is collaboration. And I know the people that are experts in all the different fields. I've got enough uh, knowledge to be dangerous, but I can tee up that, those opportunities. But at any rate, um, so then uh, decided to take it. We took it to our, our broker dealer and said, hey, we want to expand. Will you support us? Will you support us compliance-wise? Maybe help support us with getting other advisors that we that could plug into it. And, um, and wanted to go nationwide. And they kind of scoffed at us and like, oh, so you got to be radio stars and all that stuff. And it's like, no, this is my midlife crisis. I want to give back. I want to help educate Americans. Back then, we had a negative savings rate, so there was a lot of challenges with that. And so I decided that, hey, we need to get that word out. And so they, they, they agreed, but they said, you know, you own Wisconsin first and then, then, then head out. So we had, um, we had this whole state covered, went back. We had Hartford Insurance Company that was willing to sponsor us with other major insurance carriers, and we were going to go nationwide. And we started negotiating with major markets, and then October of 08 happened. The lights went dead. Nobody returned our calls, and we had over a half a million dollar budget already, and all of a sudden, all the revenue was cut off. We were negotiating multi-million dollars of budgets to go nationwide. And to have everything cut off, we were not in a financial position to continue that. And right about then is when the internet started getting more accepted in the age groups that we were talking to. You know, grandparents wanted to see the pictures of their grandkids, and they learned how to use the internet, you know. So decided to take that whole program and make it a podcast and a little bit more direct. Instead of being on the polka station, now the, the, the advisors can drive that out directly. And uh, went from doing all the production and recording ourselves to now interviewing experts in their different fields and now delivering that men uh, the message of financial literacy to Americans through their financial advisors on all these different topics. And uh, I'm proud to say, I mean, we've got one heck of a following and I think we're making a difference. I get We've got thousands of people that have given us testimonials, and that's what drives me to keep me keep it going. So, um, so we do two parts with it. One, we do a podcast for advisors where we interview, um, you know, like I said, many different folks. I know I've had Steve Forbes on. We've had uh, senators on. We've had economists on. Uh, a lot of different people. And then um, we have another part, which is our what we call our power session where we will give uh, tips and ideas how to position the different topics to their clients when they reach out. And uh, we've built an infrastructure now that's all on autopilot and self-reports to them. And they get an email saying who's engaged, who's not engaged in each topic. And it really makes it real easy for the advisor. And the one thing for me, ever since the beginning, I don't have a problem approaching anybody about anything. And I and and, and my speaking engagements around the country and uh, mentoring other advisors, it seems they're afraid to pick up the phone, even calling and talking to their own clients. Well, now we can take that and really help them with what they struggle with. 
And, you know, most advisors can do really good if someone calls up and says, hey, I'd like to talk to you about long-term care. But calling them and saying we should be talking about long-term care is a different matter. Yeah. So, so we try to build this to help advisors. I've tried to build it to help their clients by getting them in. And um, hopefully um, I'll be one piece of the solution because I, I don't like to sound go off on this, but I really think our country's in trouble. Our government is a reflection of the people, and if our people are in a financial mess, why would we expect our government to be in a financial good place? So we need to start on the grassroots, get get to the point where we're proud to be Americans again, and uh, and we have a positive outlook on our future and the future of our kids and grandkids. So that's that's what drives me. Somewhere in here, you have to make money. Is there yes. that's monetized in the real wealth? podcasts and other programs that you're doing? Yep. Well, you know, I first started out with giving it away for free. Um, I, I worked it out with NAFA. You know, they were looking for some help with some member benefits, and I just gave it to them. And I had a few friends come to me that I respect that said, hey, Jim, you are an idiot for giving this away for free, you know? Um, the right question, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and the thing was, it was, it was um, costing me at least 150000 a year to be giving it away. And uh, so we, we changed the, the whole structure of it. I still, a lot of people get access to it for free through, through things like NAFA. Um, but we have a model where uh, there's different BDs that sponsor us and insurance organizations and associations that sponsor the program. They give us a little bit of money that helps the lights go on. Um, but then we also have a subscription service. Uh, it's, it's just, depending on what model they get, it's 50 or 60 bucks a month. We're probably gonna be raising those prices in a little bit. Um, but that at least gets us to a point where we're covering our bills. Um, I also, if I find um, a solution for advisors that I think is a little bit out of the box and not so mainstream that can help them in their business, we do some revenue shares with different businesses and stuff like that. So that um, my goal is I don't want any advisor at any point in their business not to be able to use our tools to help them. I don't want price to be a barrier for that. So we've, we've got models that can help any advisor wherever they are in their practice, help them build their practice. Beautiful. Give us the website. Um, geez. <laughs> Uh, it's www.realwealthmarketing.com. There you go. I knew you'd come up with it or I would have. <laughs> <laughs> I don't call myself. I don't go on my own email stuff or on my own website. I probably should check it out once in a while, but I'm very fortunate. I got a, a team of millennials and pre-millennials that have helped bring technology out of the 19th century. I mean, we used to do the show with a string and a tin can. Uh, um, and now we're actually using the internet and we're back, we're into modern technology. Yeah. And it's because you learn to delegate. You have about a dozen people working in your firm right now. And I noticed that, um, you basically have it set up so that you can talk about taxes, insurance, and your connection with the law side. And I'm, yep. Where did the inspiration to set it up that way? Because it is unusual. Yeah. It started out with the estate planning. 
um, because I found, you know, when I first got into doing investments, Wisconsin passed a marital property law, which is community property back in, it went into force in 86. And I got my licenses for securities in 86. And um, what was real predominant in my area, what's mine is mine, what's hers is hers. You pay these bills, I'll pay these bills. And here I'm starting to do a little bit with investments and insurance. And all of a sudden one spouse would get sick or pass away. Well, now everything's stuck in probate and they were supposed to be paying those bills. And even though I set up the accounts, I was powerless to help that spouse that was healthy get access to those other accounts to pay the bills that they were supposed to be paying out of there. So I thought there had to be a better way. And I found out about durable powers of attorney and trust. And as I learned about them, it was confusing and I really didn't want to learn about it. It was simple to just stick with Medicare supplements, but I knew my clients need to be educated on it. And the attorneys weren't educating people. They're just putting them through probate. So then I, I, I started referring people to their attorney. I said, go get powers of attorney done and go get your trust done. And they go to their attorney and a few months later, I'd talk to them and said, did you ever get that done? And they'd say, no, our attorney tells us our estate isn't big enough. And some of them would even share with me, the attorney's telling them to run away from me because I'm, I'm, tell, I'm practicing law. Well, how the heck is it practicing law to tell people to go to their attorney to get legal work done? And I, so then I knew I had to learn about it. And, and I found a class that I could take about it. It was a, a six-day class, 10 hours a day, cram class on everything you needed to know. Went through it the first time and oh my God, I'm like, what am I getting myself into? I need to go back again. Went back again, three times the charm. I'm a slow learner. You know, so we had to, so I, I got to be an expert on it. And then what I learned is instead of giving clients a list of three people to go to, I needed to collaborate. We need to work together as a team. So we, we, we developed a process with the attorney to gather all the information that they wanted because why pay the attorney to find out what their assets are and to do beneficiary changes that what we do all day and I'm already paid for it. So, and I've got the technology that I can print the forms versus paying someone $75 an hour paralegal to call ABC company. Can you send us the forms and, and pay all that money? So by collaborating, we create a better experience for the client. The attorney spends less time, makes more money per hour by, by, by having that collaboration. So we collaborated that. And then, you know, we talked about, you know, getting someone's tax returns and all the keys that you can find there. Well, I decided you're going to get their tax returns every time if they're doing your taxes with you. And so I collaborated with a CPA. And what I have them do is they do a letter to the clients a planning letter. Here's some things you could do that could lower your taxes. Here's some things you should be thinking about. Here's some things you should do differently. Talk to your financial advisor about it. Now the CPAs don't have time to do anything sitting in front of a client. And as soon as tax season's over, they're like, oh my God, I need to relax and decompress. They're not, they don't want to do a bunch of client meetings. And by the time they get back into the groove, it's fall. Now it's year-end planning and all that. So the experience that they're giving the vast majority of their clients is drop your stuff off and come pick it up. And there's no counseling, they're just preparing taxes. So we developed a proactive system where we do the taxes and then what we do as a firm, and we have them sign all the appropriate disclosures and all that kind of stuff. 
But what we do is we as a firm can make it easier for the accountant because all the investments they have with us, we get all the information the accountant needs to prepare the returns. Okay, that that's that's that creates a lot of efficiency for the account because they're not calling, hey, did you get this 1099? Did you get this K1? You know, so we're able to streamline that process. And then we deliver the vast majority of the returns. And then we go over the letter from the accountant that says, hey, you know, if we put in uh, $6,000 in your IRA, you'll qualify for the savers credit, plus you get this deduction, you'll get 3,000 back on your taxes for putting six grand in, do you wanna do that? No, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, but then he talks about Roth conversions, you know, you might wanna consider that, we got the lowest brackets that you probably have ever experienced. And you should talk to your financial advisor about that. So then we will set up, schedule appointments if they want to engage more. If they don't, they walk away informed. So that's been invaluable. I also have a PNC firm here that we built from scratch, which is hard to do today. But um, I got sick of referring my clients to uh, agents that did not want to take care of them the way I wanted them taken care of. And and I know there's a lot of PNC agents that do a really good job. My experience has been most of them, once it's sold, they never talk to them again unless there's a claim. Well, we do planning with PNC the way I do my financial planning. We offer year-to-year -year reviews. So we've got that happening. And, um, and then I've got a health insurance expert in here. I don't do Medicare supplements anymore. I hate the Obamacare stuff. I don't want to be messing with it. I got a gal that loves that stuff. So she's here in the office and we all cross refer because no matter how they come into the office, we talk about the comprehensive approach and everybody loves the concept. They don't have to go to eight different offices to get all their stuff done. And knowing that we communicate here, we can create a lot of efficiency with their time. And now just most recently, I've just refurbished my office. We went to the cloud. I've got video teleconferencing in here. So now that's going to help us better serve our clients. And um, one thing that we do that really helps with referrals, and it's actually what I'm going to MDRT to speak about, and I've spoke a lot of NAFA groups, is having family meetings. Um, and by having those family meetings, I've got up to five generations that I've worked with in a single family so far. And we have tons of families where we've got three generations. And uh, so that's just a natural progression for us. And, and when you take care of people that way, when they know how much you care, you don't have to look for the next piece of business. It just comes in, you know, and, and, I, and I'll go back to say, you know, it took me years to get here to do what I'm doing. I never imagined in my wildest dreams that I'd have the kind of revenue that we have coming in here. And I'm a little bit different than most agents. It's not all going into my pocket. I reward my employees. I'm active in the community with what we do. Um, if I'm gonna make a mistake, it's gonna be I have too many employees rather than cutting back because I want my clients to have the best service that I can possibly give them. Wow, wow, such a great model. And it obviously is working for you. Yep. If you had it to do all over again, would you do anything differently? Well, that's that's a really good question. Um, you know, some days when, when I'm going a million miles an hour in a million different directions, I'm like, why am I doing this? But then a client 
will make a uh, give me a comment or one of the advisors that we're helping out with the real wealth program will say something and it, it just brings it back to where I realize what I'm doing has such a positive impact on people. Um, the one regret I probably have is um, not delegating soon enough and um, making myself replaceable. And you know, I, I own the accounting firm and I have a CPA running it. Um, now, not everybody is, you know, it took some learning back and forth to get things running smoothly. Um, I've, had, I've had tax practices I've helped build before. Uh, my business partner and I split apart and um, you know, I've, I've rebuilt some things uh, more in my image and, and, and how I wanted to see things done. And one thing is I changed the accounting firm to also be a way of generating new business. So we figured it out by us working together, we created efficiencies for most tax returns, we can cost effectively get them done for 99 bucks. Yeah, so, yeah, so we do that for $99. We market in our local area here um, and it's for people over 50, okay, that they get the $99. Now people under 50, they pay a little bit more, not much more. Uh, all our returns are less than 200 for an individual return. We do business returns. We don't discount those um, anything special, but we're still we want to be profitable on it, but just barely. And um, we get lots of good clients every year because the financial advisor is delivering the return. Yeah. And when you see that they had twenty thousand dollars of taxable distributions that created taxes on their Social Security, that if they just repositioned, you could save them all this money. Who wouldn't want to talk about that? given so much good information, Jim. I, what I would like to ask you though is, if I just qualified for the MDRT, what advice would you give me? Go to the meeting, you know, rub elbows. Try to find someone, I mean, don't hang around with the, if you go to MDRT, let's say you got three or four guys in your office and, and gals or whatever, and you go to the meeting, what I see is they just all hang together and they don't talk to anybody else. You ain't going to sharpen the sword with visiting with people you visit with every day um, and the people with the white ribbons or the blue ribbons and say, Hey, tell me about your business. What did you do to get successful? Are you having, you know, what, what challenges do you find common? What you'll find is they're just like you. Okay. Only they've honed their skills much better. And, um, and the thing is, you know, you, at, you, you talked about before, I think one of the biggest keys, the biggest keys to success is you got to be really good at asking people to sit down with you, you know, and if you're not hire someone to do that. Okay. Figure out what you're really good at and, and you got to get people in the door. Um, and, and you have to, you know, it's a numbers game. You know, if you're visiting with two, three people a, a, a week, I mean, you're really not serious about the business, are you? And if you can only get three people a week in, then the rest of your week should be spent figuring out how to get more people in, uh, learning about how competencies your weekend. You know, you should be focused on the business in one way, shape, or form at least 40 hours a week, or you're not really serious about it. So you need to get serious about the business. And if you can go to your local NAFA meetings, attend webinars in areas that you don't know, I'll do a self-shameless promotion. I mean, we do webinars every month of the best of the best 
on different parts of the business, how to better run your business, how to, how to um, get concepts across, how to ask the right questions to get people in the door. It's all tools. But if it's a nice day today and I don't have any appointments and I'm going golfing, well, then you'll never, we'll never see you at the top. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, there's so much good information here that I can't wait to get this out. You've been a great guest, and uh, I've seen you be a great host as well. I, I wish you the absolute best, and I really appreciate your taking the time right before you're running off to convention to, to uh, spend this time on getting this information out. Well, it's my pleasure, and uh, like I said, my midlife crisis is to help Americans with their financial literacy. I can't do it myself. I need the help of everybody in this business. Um, right now, I looked at the statistics. If you look at how many baby boomers there are, um, I think each person in the financial service, every licensed individual would have to take care of 3,000 of them just to serve the baby boomers. There's not enough of us going around. So I think my closing um, suggestion would be have an attitude of abundance, not scarcity. It, I mean, there's so much business for all of us. Work together, collaborate. Don't worry about, oh my God, this is my business and I need to see that person. I can't bring anybody else in. Find people you can trust to work with and, and you know, don't just trust on a handshake. Have agreements. Write the agreements down. Make sure you, you know where everybody stands. But working together as a team, number one, it's not very lonely. You know, when you're out there by yourself, and you're not hiring anybody, that gets pretty lonely. And when you're down in the dumps, boy, it's hard to get out of there. I mean, I've been there, right? So, so work together, work to be the best you can be. Uh, reach out for help. Don't be afraid to ask people. I know people ask me for help all the time, and I'll bend over backwards to try to help them. Um, and there's a lot of people at MDRT that way. Same thing with NAFA. Join NAFA. Pay your dues. Join FPA. Join whatever associations that you can. And as soon as you can qualify for things like MDRT, go to the annual meeting. If you can qualify for Forum 400, top of the table, I would challenge you to go to as many of those meetings as you can, AALU. You know, and you might say, well, I'm not in that marketplace. I'll tell you what, I'm not in a lot of those marketplaces either, but you're never going to have an opportunity to take advantage of when the opportunity knocks on the door. And if you're not knowledgeable and you can't lead the charge and, and take people where they need to be taken to when, 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 when their situation changes. I mean, I just had a buddy of mine from uh, China just call me. Um, he's got a multi-million dollar business. And he's asking me how should he's going to restructure his business. He's going to relocate in the United States. And he wants to know how to set it up so that he doesn't have to pay too much in taxes. Well, I don't have businesses in Kewaskum that have that problem. But I know the solutions for him, and guess what? I'm going to have a really nice client situation where I'm going to make a huge difference for him, but it's also going to have a very positive impact on our business. So it's win-win. Uh, I love it, and, and it's appreciated. And are you going to just, just one more thing, are you going to fly? I know you have a pilot's license. Are you going to fly, or are you are going to go commercial? Well, I'm going to commercial because it's overseas. I just have a small single engine plane that I got involved in a little while ago, but I am, um, I'm up in Wisconsin. I'm flying down to the NAFA national meeting in Orlando 
And uh, after that meeting, I'm doing a local meeting for the NAFA Houston Association, flying to Houston. I've got a couple stops in between with some business that we're going to look at uh, uh, trying to get some other business taken care of and then coming back up here. So get some flying in. Thank you again. All right. If you want to talk with me about your journey to the top of the table, contact me at sandychassellecom slash conversation. I'll see you at the top.